Starfighters. Happy anniversary, Starfighters. Yes. Greetings on the on the one year anniversary of our our first episode. Yeah. My, what a long, strange trip it's been. That's what you Seriously. say on anniversaries, right? I think so. Or at <laughs> Grateful Dead concerts. Yeah. Or uh, you know. Yeah. High school yearbooks. Abs- what a long strange yeah, that's everyone's seen your quote. <laughs> I mean, uh, not anymore, hey Dan, but... <laughs> hey, Dan, how's it going? Thank you for doing this with me for the past year. Thank you, John, for entertaining this this idea and should going we keep, for should it. We keep, should we keep doing these? I think so. Okay. <laughs> I, I would like to. I mean, I don't know. Are you trying to tell me something? No, 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 no. Uh, other than that, just you would goofing. like to keep doing this for another just, year. Just goofing, that's all. Yeah. I'm down. I, in fact, I was, I was kind of thinking like, so, you know, it, it's kind of like the one year mark is, it's always a point to kind of like, you know, look back, look forward, reflect, consider, you know, what you want to do moving forward. Like I, I have right here, don't say, you know, as much. So <laughs> one of my goals for the year, anyway, John, I wanted to see and ask you where what do you see for for year two of of the podcast? Uh, are you asking me in terms of things that I want to work on for this podcast in the way that you are trying to refrain from saying you know? There's the personal things, which I right? brought that up just because I said it, and I have my whiteboard next to me with the phrases that I. I'm trying to not say as much. Right. So if you hear a pause, there's a few words or phrases that you could probably fill in. And if you've been listening to us, you probably know what they are. So, but I'm and, also and thinking wait, about- Just yes. real quick, speaking of filling in, stay tuned, everybody, <laughs> at, for the end of the episode for a very special special message from our friend French Fry Phil. And that actually brings me to one of- my other ideas and just thoughts, and this is where I want to go, and I feel like we're recording it. it there's some accountability here. I want to bring in some guests. I want. I would like to. We've had a. Yeah. We've had a couple. Of we've great had a guests. couple of really great. We've guests. had a couple of amazing it's, guests. I'll say this: we are people with full time jobs and yes. small children, and uh, we put this out every week. So it is tricky to 
schedule time aside from just with one another. Yes. So the the stars aligned when we were able to have uh, Faye Merman speak about the Mad Max universe. Uh, we got very lucky with George de la Pena yes. to speak about brain donors. I mean, hello. Amazing. The great Valare. The great Valare himself. Yes. Still great. Still great. Still great. <laughs> Better than ever. Greater yes. than ever. Amazing. Yes. And I would like to, that's a goal for me because I feel that having the input of these people who have either. Input. Input. <laughs> wow. One year. <laughs> Happy anniversary. <laughs> Episode one. Short circuit. Input. Input. Need input. <laughs> Stephanie. Stephanie. <laughs> Johnny Five is alive. Okay, you All know, right. I'm sure I'm short circuiting. Sometimes I worry that when we record these at night, after a full day of working, that I'm not going to be firing on all cylinders. But that just showed me that anything is possible. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So, I'm sorry. I, I've been interrupting you. Go ahead. No, that's fine. That's normally my job. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think I. To me, it means a lot. I, you and I, we're, you know, as knowledgeable as as two guys with full time jobs and small children, and demanding lives. And I, I have enjoyed bringing in those people like Faye, who are, who have become actually her because her story is really fascinating. Yeah, but who you know have become not just big fans of the properties that we're talking about, but who have got, who have become, who have made themselves a part of that legacy. Yeah. And it's pretty wild. And then your your people like George de la Pena, who is 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 a part of that legacy as as a cast member of the film. And I'm just excited to I want to find more writers more creators people who do the things that we just kind of like we do our like fantasy like some people have fantasy football and fantasy baseball we have fantasy movie studio right we, yeah like, pretty much we do our fantasy sequels our our weekend at bernie's remakes or reboots our you know i yeah. don't know uh our crossovers, our Broadway musicals, or just or off Broadway musicals. So I, it would be fun to have those people, and I think for me personally, what I put in because I guess what you may not know is that outside of recording the podcasts, John does the production work on it. Anything that you hear. Other pretty much than my voice is, and occasionally the episode description that you that you might may or may not read. Everything else is John. John's putting so much into this, and one of the things that I personally want to do, and it's this is on public record, so accountability. <laughs> but I really want to work on on reaching out and finding people who who can talk to us and, you know, got a couple of leads working on a couple of leads. Okay. Okay. Right now. Yeah. A couple of leads. So 
I would like to see that become a a more a more regular part. Not only that, but also to bring in more of our. We had our our brother Scott as as a guest on an episode. That's right. So, I look forward to having an opportunity to to bring him back in. I yeah. look forward to. We I have, have a feeling we're of, gonna have that opportunity very soon because oh, we we're all going on a trip together. Yes, we well, yes, we will. That's one yeah. thing. There's not a lot of things that we could that we can pretty much promise you for for year two, but another episode with Scott is is a pretty sure thing. That's right. So we look forward to that, and I I look forward to bringing in. I've got. I feel like I have a lot of friends who are very passionate about a lot of the movies that we haven't talked about yet. And we've had a lot on our list for the past year mm-hmm. that we've been holding off on. Right. And there's a lot of, I there's a lot of people I know who I just feel like would be fun to talk to about, about these movies. Yeah. And if any of our listeners want to reach out to us, if you think that you would be, particularly interesting to chat with about a movie that we may cover uh, or maybe something that we haven't thought of, let us know. Right. You can email us at uh, ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com and uh, we can discuss, figure something out. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, Dan, would you like to contribute anything to our And One More Thing segment? Is there anything about Tremors that maybe... Uh, you've been ruminating on since the last episode's recording. Only that it's been nice to see a lot of social media posts around the 30th anniversary of Tremors. Yeah. Just thinking that it was such a, it, it was coincidental that we happened to pick Tremors. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, that's it. That's all I, 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 I don't have. And one more thing about, okay. about Tremors. Do you? Uh, I mean, the only thing I can really note is that uh, I think it's Netflix has been trying to encourage me to watch Tremors 2 uh, for the past week. Uh, I think that they might have just added it or something. They've got they've had all the Tremors because I I watched Tremors 2 and they've been now they're trying to sell me on like Tremors 5. It's got (laughs) I I think like Jamie Kennedy and Michael Gross talking about. Careers that fail to take off. Let's uh, pivot over to oh. The Rocketeer, our movie Wait, of the week. I, I wanted to report in. I said I would report in on Bad Boys for Life. Oh, that's right. How was Bad Boys for Life? How was Bad... It was Bad Boys for Life. So this was the first... My first Bad Boys movie in the theater. And also the first Bad Boys movie that I watched beginning to end in one sitting. Oh, okay. Without either turning on something else or falling asleep. So, also the first Bad Boys movie not directed by Michael Bay, though it's very much in the spirit of Michael Bay, and Michael Bay does make a cameo in the movie. Does he really? <laughs> it is... It's fine. Okay. It's fine. Interesting... Some interesting plot twists. You know, they tried. They tried. Let's put it this way. For me, the the bar for Bad Boys for Life was a good day to die hard. Huh. Right. Which major, for me, major disappointment. And for me, Bad Boys for Life, because I was not the fan of uh, my wife, Alicia, 
is the the Bad Boys fan. Okay. I I went along. It was like similarly the weekend before we went to see Little Women. That was my pick. Mm-hmm. So Annalise is Bad Boy. We defy gender norms. So sure. So Bad Boys for Life was fine. It was entertaining. Is there any need to go see it? No. Martin Lawrence is still pretty much doing the same thing. Right. Will Smith's character, because Will Smith's character, I think by nature has to change because Martin Lawrence's character has kind of always been the the Murtaugh of the pair, if you will. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got the impression from the Bad Boys for Life trailer where it's like, all right, one more time. You know, he's kind of like begrudgingly yeah. getting involved. But he's also, because I checked out Bad Boys 2, in which he was also talking about retiring. Oh, my God. And I'm pretty sure in Bad Boys 1, he was kind of like, hey, I need to slow down. Oh, man. Okay. So, All right. It, it's, it's... Uh... Anyway, it's fine. It's a fun popcorn flick. Fun night at the movies. Bad Boys for life. Right on. And uh, And I went to go see... The Oregon Symphony playing along with Ghostbusters. Oh, yes. Which uh, they talked a little bit about the uh, upcoming Ghostbusters Afterlife. I keep on almost saying Ghostbusters Afterbirth, but it's not that. <laughs> I... He slimed me. <laughs> so she anyway. Slimed me. I don't what, know. So this is a... <laughs> Um, the, the conductor is touring with this and basically what happens is, so, uh, his name is Peter Bernstein. He was one of the, uh, I think orchestrators for the score of Ghostbusters, which was, uh, composed by his father, Elmer Bernstein, who, okay. if you look at Elmer Bernstein, you'll see, oh, he's done everything. Got it. So, uh, yeah, Ghostbusters was Peter Bernstein's first movie that he ever had any involvement with. And it was really cool to hear him talk about his experiences with it. This movie being part of his life so heavily for such a long time. And then just the experience of watching Ghostbusters with a live orchestra. Just like it really reminds you how great that score is and how... Some of the things that make that movie so memorable are so tied to the score. Some of the weird sounds that you hear when things are happening and during the Columbia Pictures oh logo well, yeah. at the beginning it start it, it starts before the actual movie even starts. <laughs> yeah. Mhm. And uh yeah, and whenever I see the Columbia logo my brain goes there. It goes to if Ghostbusters. If it's the, the 80s or any Columbia logo. Really any. Yeah. Really? Even the... Da, na, 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 like the one that started in like the 90s, the last action hero Columbia logo. <laughs> I, I think that just when I see her on the screen, my <laughs> brain just goes to the Ghostbusters. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Okay. Uh, so it, it was a wonderful experience. I believe that um, one of the oboe players was in a giant Stay Puft Marshmallow Man costume. Uh, and you, you sent in the costume. picture. 
Yeah, I sent you a picture. And it was it was just tremendous. Like, everyone was having a good time. And the best part, I think, is when a kid sitting behind me um, said right after they caught Slimer, the kid said, they caught their first ghost and was so excited. And it was clearly their first time seeing this movie. And I was just like, oh, wow. What's happening behind me is so special right now. It's magical. And what a great way to see it for your first time, too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In I a will have beautiful to concert hall. It was, yeah, it was fantastic. If you see it's coming to your city, check it out. Well, they tend to the Seattle Symphony at Ben Roya Hall. They do the live orchestra with movies. They've done it for, I think, a couple of the Star Wars. I know they did it for The Empire Strikes Back because that was the one I almost went to go see. Mm-hmm. And I Yeah, know you that see they... things like this a lot for Star Wars movies. Um, and Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry Potter's a big one. Yeah. But I would love to see... You don't see it for something like Ghostbusters as often and... The score for like the score for Star Wars and and Harry Potter, like those scores, John Williams scores, right. they stand they stand out, mm-hmm. and as well they should. Yeah, and the the score of Ghostbusters, which as you said, especially with the eerie sounds, mm-hmm. it, it's more ingrained into the film, right? Well, and it's also just like moments of the score attach themselves to images on the screen. Yes. Like you see the statues in front of the library and you hear da da You know what just popped into my head is kind of that like Oh yeah. That kind oh, yeah. of like daytime in New York and then it goes to yep. like the dark clouds overhead. It's it's really incredible. It's really You're it's making really me want to watch Ghostbusters. You should. Anyway, but now we're going to talk about the Rocketeer. Yes, the Rocketeer. Can I first, before you you synopsize the Rocketeer? (laughs) Okay. So the Rocketeer was released in June of 1991, or I'm sorry, I want to make sure I have that date right. It could be July of yeah, June and June of 1991. It opened in at the box office in fourth place. Now. Just to put things into perspective, 1991, in my opinion, is one of the best years for movies. And when you look at the list, when you look at the 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 box office for for that weekend, you see number one is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which I know has not has not necessarily aged well. But I remember when that came out and. Like, whatever. It was awesome. I didn't care Kevin Costner, like, sucked. It was, like, right. Alan Rickman was awesome. And they were Morgan Freeman and Christian Slater dropped an F-bomb. And, like, I was 13, you know? And I've seen it several times since. I I couldn't say I enjoy it as much as I did when I was younger. But it, it was, like, the big blockbuster. It's, like, you know, City Slickers was number two, the weekend that Rocketeer came out. It was Robin Hood, City Slickers, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. At number three, Dying Young, which I I think underperformed, but that was supposed that was the big hit where Julia Roberts 
it becomes a nurse for um, a, a, a dying cancer patient played by Campbell Scott. Huh. And I remember that okay. being like the big romantic, like the year before it was like ghost. That was the big Got summer it. romance. And this dying young was going to be like this year's ghost, but it wasn't. And then you have the Rocketeer opening at number four. You've got Backdraft, which mm-hmm. uh, had opened in May, Jungle Fever, a, a fantastic Spike Lee movie that I was thinking about the other day and just how old it feels. It, it doesn't oh. feel, hmm. that movie doesn't feel as old until you think about the the subject and interracial romance and right. and just how, you know, taboo it was, what he was doing with that. You got Drop Dead Fred on that list. Yeah. You got What About Bob? Don't, I mean, like, because Drop Dead, I, I haven't seen Drop Dead Fred, like, since 1991, but I feel like it's kind of gathered a cult around it. Oh, it don't, totally has a cult following. Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead also has... Amazing. I think yeah. that one has aged, aged well. Soap Dish. Uh, do we need to talk about Soap Dish? Do we need Probably. to? No. Do we want to? Always. Yeah. Thelma and Louise. Wow. Hudson Hawk. Okay. For what it's worth. Only the Lonely. And then, by the way, at the bottom of this list, and I'm only at, like, this is not even the top, the full top 20, but it shows you the staying power of some of these movies. Home Alone, which was released in December of 1990, is is number 14 at the box office. Hmm. Silence of the Lambs, released in February of 1991, is number 14. Kickboxer 2... This is just the ranking for that opening, opening weekend. weekend. Wow. Opening weekend. Kindergarten Cop, uh, which was released December 1990, is number 17 at the box office. And you have less movies being released. This is true. But right. there were a lot of movies that came out between Home Alone and The Rocketeer. Yeah. So it's just to show you what you could have potentially gone to see at the theater the weekend the rocketeer came out yeah and by the way the movies the rest of that year they're not necessarily the type that we that we will end up discussing but look at you got the fisher king cape fear jfk bugsy i love bugsy uh-huh. great movie uh, oh there there were some other great ones that year that I'm forgetting, but yeah, for our listeners, Dan is not reading from a list at this point. He's just <laughs> rattling off the information were, that he because, knows because these movies made an impact on me and they're part of the reason why we're doing this. And I, I just remember I went to see so many movies that year, but so many of them have held up so well. Uh, Wait, Terminator 2. The only reason why we didn't mention Terminator 2 is because it hadn't come out yet right. <laughs> at this point. So Terminator 2, uh, Point Break, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and think about that. We have got we had a Point Break remake a couple of years ago, which apparently was one of the worst things ever. And we've got- I saw it. Oh, you did? I did. No, I mean, it was just like on HBO or something. Mm-hmm. And- uh, it's it's what you think it would be from watching the trailers. I would just watch the original. Yeah, but you've got that. You've got the third Bill and Ted coming out later this I year. I know, so exciting, amazing. So so let's talk about. Movies. So let's talk about the Rocketeer. You have one more thing to say. 
yes, I'm going to segue into your bit by rem- perhaps reminding you that uh, as the resident film critic of my middle school's paper, since I was in eighth grade, as we I did were not know this going to the summer. Well, and I predicted the box office for that summer. What? I predi- I I predicted what were going to be the big winners for that summer, and like what were going to be the big hits of that summer. And my top three were Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Terminator Two, and The Rocketeer. I think I had The Rocketeer at number two. Actually, oh yeah, <laughs> yes. I am not looking at this right now. I think that this paper exists somewhere, but I. I just have a very clear memory of of like picking that and thinking the Rocketeer was just going to be this huge hit. Dan, I had no idea that you were a uh, a, a junior film journalist. Well, I yeah, I was in in eighth grade, and I I reviewed I reviewed movies for the I would love you for I would love to. Uh, well, yes, that I would love to. Uh, Find find these from your your eighth grade days. I'm sure they're <laughs> in a box in an attic somewhere. So so your your prediction for the uh, the number two movie of that summer, The Rocketeer, uh, and Dan, if you would um, do me the honor of uh, refraining from commenting until I am uh, until I am finished, uh, that would be much appreciated. I'm clicking my mute button. (laughs) Okay. Jenny is a young, struggling actress whose lughead boyfriend gaslights her after a promising audition for a bit part in a major film starring Hollywoodland's biggest actor. After crashing a closed set to tell her about something he has going on, the boyfriend ruins a perfect take and gets Jenny kicked off the set. The big Hollywoodland actor hates the guy so much he uses Jenny as bait so he can kick the boyfriend's ass. After things go south when the actor is out with Jenny, he drugs her and brings him back, uh, brings her back to the mansion in an ultimate Me Too story. After she comes to, she discovers that he's a spy for the Nazis and he's after her boyfriend to get the jetpack that he has so the Nazis can create a battalion of flying Nazi soldiers. What the actor doesn't suspect is that the boyfriend is really good at jetpacks and the movie is actually about him. And after the boyfriend and Jenny save the day, the boyfriend gets a brand new plane from Howard Hughes and she gets nothing. Big surprise. Okay, Dan, you can unmute. That, of course, is the the impression that I got after watching this movie in 2020. And clearly... The movie is about Cliff, the Rocketeer, but there's a whole other movie going on at the same time. Jenny, played by Jennifer mm-hmm. Connelly, is, man, what a story she has. Her story? What, that she, uh, like, wants to be an actress, can't get a good part, and ends up getting, She's- like... She is constantly being told that she is wasting her time, specifically by her boyfriend, who is like, oh, doesn't that only have like one line? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, fly little airplanes. 
uh, <laughs> um, in the at these tiny little air shows. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, anyway, what's really going on is uh, Cliff is this little stunt pilot at these air shows. Uh, he is he works very closely with Alan Arkin's character. Who is the who um, he, he runs the airplane hangar, the little airport that puts on these shows, and um, a group of gangster thugs is being chased by the feds at the beginning of the movie, and they ultimately end up at the airport hangar and hide this item inside one of the planes so that the FBI doesn't get it from them. Uh, that item, of course, is the jetpack that has been uh, created by Howard Hughes, but ultimately Hughes decided to scrap this jetpack plan because he saw what the Nazis would want to do with this. And um, the actor, uh, played by Timothy Dalton, was it like Neville Seville or something like that? Neville Sinclair? Neville Sinclair, no. whatever. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, what we learn is that he is a spy for the Nazis and he has hired these thugs to get the jetpack. Well, and he, he's German. He's really German. He reveals himself. To oh, be is German. he actually German? I, so I was wondering, so, and this is one of my, my things with it was I, there was so much of this that was not clear to me when I originally saw it. And even this time I was like, wait a second. So he's not British. Cause he starts speaking with a German accent mm. after he's revealed. He starts speaking with a German accent. For God's sake, Sinclair, help us get these flames out. Goodbye, Jenny. I wish I could take care of this man. Everything about you is a lie. It wasn't lies, Jenny. It was acting. <laughs> I guess he was born German. I kind of rewound it to see if it was ever explained, but he just starts speaking with the German accent. After Could have just he... been a T-Dalt uh, decision in the moment. Yeah. If it's yeah, not specifically you know, said, then it's like, uh, what I got, what I understood is that he was a spy for the Nazis. So anyway. Guess, well, um, well, no, but to stay on that, just to mm-hmm. address that point is, well, I got the impression because he does, he uses a German accent from that point on in the movie, but I don't understand why he, why he had to be German. It was extremely, it's not like there were no Nazi sympathizers in Britain. Right. There were Nazi sympathizers everywhere. So it was, it would totally have been acceptable for him to just be British and still be a spy for the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. I think it. I didn't even pick up on that because at that point in the movie, I was just like, "All right, we we threw with this yet? Are we done?" Um, and then just kind of enjoyed the the spectacle. But I uh, yeah. So the jetpack is is hidden in one of the planes, and uh, I'm trying to see what Alan Arkin's character's name is because he deserves PV. PV that's right. Uh, PV yeah. deserves Alan Arkin deserves more than just being called the character that Alan Arkin plays because he was great. Yes. Uh, no, so PV, Cliff, yeah. Cliff and PV find this jetpack, and um, what ends up happening is 
they he's like tinkering around with it and he creates this like helmet for it to act as a rudder and things like that but uh at one of these air shows this like old drunk circus clown kind of guy takes one of the planes up and is putting everybody in danger so cliff straps on the rocket pack and saves the day Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah he's a he's a former fighter pilot now he's just kind of a mechanic who works in the garage right. who hasn't flown a plane in decades yeah and was shot down the last time he flew one so and he's a clown that too yeah but cliff was supposed to be a clown that's the only reason why right. that guy did because cliff was supposed to do the, the clown. that's right that's right yeah, yeah. how do i look like a hood ornament Essentially, what ends up happening oh. is he makes the paper. They call him the Rocketeer uh, just to give him a fun little name because no one knows who it actually is. What's up? What, what right. are you say? Yeah. Well, no. And that character, the character, yes. the older mechanic is married to the owner of the cafe played by Margo, Margo Martindale. Martindale of Lorenzo's Oil. I know. That was exciting to see her. It's like, Yes. I, I a direct connection. Yes. <laughs> I got I I enjoy Margot Martindale, but I have never been so excited to see her. <laughs> and she was great. Anything. Um essentially I don't know, we don't we don't have to go through the whole movie point by point. It's but it's it's an it's an action adventure movie that really in my memory had more action and adventure than the movie actually had. What's f interesting is, for me, I think this time around, I found it more exciting. Oh, okay. Than I had than I had before, and I think that part of that is the tone, the style of the movie. It's meant to be this, you know, family friendly. Uh, tribute to the 1930s serials, right. which was what Indiana Jones was. Mm -hmm. So, but this is kind of a different take. It's a different type of the the old type of serials that that you'd go see, and they'd have a cliffhanger at the end. So, and the tone of the movie didn't quite get that. Like what I so. I don't know if you remember in 2000, I think 2004, a movie came out called Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Yes. Really a, and 
it wasn't the most engaging movie, but the visual style of it, which was almost this, would you say steampunk? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. So what I really remember, because that was with Jude Law. Is that right? Jude Law, yeah. Angelina Jolie, Gwyneth so, Fe- ever like it was 2004. Yeah. So what What's I remember that? most about that movie is that uh, the big deal that was made around it is that it was essentially all green screen. And like everything was like there was nothing that was actually real. I feel like that right. was what I had heard about it. Something it was something like that, or or was that Beowulf? Was that the uh, the Beowulf that Angelina Jolie did? Uh, I remember this about Sky Captain: the World of Tomorrow. About Sky Captain. Yeah. A- anyway, Sky Captain was not the best movie in the world, but I felt that the visual style of that. And especially because they have there's Zeppelins and the Rocketeer right. features this big, which, by the way, here's something that kept pulling me out of it. Every time the Rocketeer takes off, he shoots flames out of his jetpack. He does this in front of an American flag <laughs> and on a Zeppelin. Among other things that shouldn't, like, he should theoretically, they should at least explain, like, oh, PV, oh, I made you these fireproof pants, so you don't I, burn your ass off when you we'll take We'll talk off. about that in a few minutes. So, I, I think that the tone of it, and also it came a year after Dick Tracy, yeah. which Dick Tracy was a little more stylized, but you had that one character, mm-hmm. the, the thug in this, who looks like he's out of Dick Tracy. It's, so like, it's like Luther Dick- or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got the Nazis. So that's make it's so you've got these things making you think of other movies that are better. Because right. so now you've got Nazis and you're thinking, oh, yeah, Indiana Jones and the last the, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade came out two years earlier. Mm-hmm. The same summer as License to Kill, the last Bond movie starring Timothy Dalton. Right. Who, so you see Timothy Dalton and, oh, okay, so it's James Bond, but and he's playing a spy, but uh, he's a Nazi. So I think there's a lot of, uh, part of, the, some of the problems of The Rocketeer lie in the style. And I, Joe Johnston, I feel like every movie of his that I see there's a lot of flash and pop, but not mm-hmm. a lot of depth. Everything, even something like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, uh-huh. another movie from 1989. Even <laughs> even Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, it still felt like, okay, I'm here to see the special effects. Right. It's, a, it's really a set piece movie where it's like, right. look at those blades of grass. A giant Cheerio. <laughs> oh, yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Oh, we're on a bee. This is going to be a great ride at Disney yeah. World. Right. Yeah. So Joe Johnston, I I, I think my favorite Joe Johnston joint. movie might. Oh, join us. <laughs> my favorite Joe Johnston. My favorite Triple J. Uh, my favorite Joe Johnst- Johnston movie. I, I even felt that way with Captain America. Uh-huh. Uh, he directed the first Captain America movie, which I also felt should have had more of the felt like the Rocketeer should have been more like that. Right. Joe Johnston actually did direct a movie that I think is really fantastic and touching. And it does not have maybe any special effects in it. October sky. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is like Hall, Laura Dern, Chris Cooper. It's so, 
It's so great, so touching. It's a story about people and accomplishment. It helps that it's a true story, but it's not about the effects. Yeah, I mean, if you look at most of his movies, uh, it's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, The Rocketeer, The Page Master, Jumanji, then there's October Sky, we have Jurassic mm-hmm. Park 3, Hidalgo, The Wolfman, uh, Captain America, The First Avenger, um, there, then there's uh, Not Safe for Work and The Nutcracker and The Four Realms, which uh, I remember that that was a thing, but I did not see Not Safe for Work. I don't really remember that one. And I didn't I didn't see Wolfman, The Wolfman with Benicio mm-hmm. Del Toro. I did not see Hidalgo. Well, something else that's important to note is that uh, his earlier work was all in visual effects. He's a visual he, effects artist on the Star Wars trilogy. Right. Uh, that's Jones. absolutely right. Yeah, Indiana Jones. Uh, he was a sequence, ultralight sequence designer on Howard the Duck, second unit director and production manager on Batteries Not Included, um, and designer he's of a, the Iron Giant. He's a Lucasfilm Amblin boy, you yeah. know? That's right. But man, October Sky... That if his other movies had the humanity of October Sky, I think there'd yeah, be something more to them. You know, and and something is like this is being, I don't know, advertised as being a an Indiana Jones like movie, and I think that one of the things that you're missing is an actor with the charisma of Harrison Ford. Uh, and yes, he looks the part, but he isn't, you know, he just doesn't have that quality that, that really no. ex- would excel him into that Indiana Jones type position. Right. And so interestingly, as I was watching the movie and looking things up about it, discovered that among the people offered... And this is Billy Campbell we're talking so about. So Billy Campbell played the Rocketeer he was not the only person considered. Actually, they offered the role to singer-songwriter Richard Marks. Mm-hmm. After I heard this, and by the way, so I follow Richard Marks on Twitter because I'm still waiting to find out with Hazard what happened. <laughs> uh, you know, he swears he left her by the river, but it's if we don't get any closure on that. So you're just waiting for anyway, a tweet? Richard Marks... It, I, I, I'm still I'm trying to figure out how to get this out of him. But anyway, I, I actually really enjoy Richard Marx's tweets. Uh, <laughs> and I also enjoy many of his songs. Hold on to the nights is a wonderful ballad. Should have known better. Endless summer nights. He wrote a lot about night. But I tweeted at Richard Marx and asked him, uh, you know, is this is this true? Because I don't remember Richard Marx ever even crossing over into film uh-huh so i i did tweet at uh at richard marks and and heard back from him got a got a response and uh he's he said and i i am here quoting richard marks uh this is true i turned it down because no disrespect to the filmmakers I couldn't see myself flying around in a jetpack for 90 minutes of a movie and ever getting another job thereafter. <laughs> Which, if you think about Billy Campbell, and it's not that Billy Campbell didn't work after The Rocketeer, but The Rocketeer, The Rocketeer could have 
made someone a star. It was supposed it could to have do taken. That. It was yeah. supposed to be a trilogy. Like they had all these plans for it, and it kind of turned out the way that it did. And people remember it, and people might think about it fondly, but it didn't do for people what a movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark did for people. No, it's the excitement kind of cuts off. It leaves you, it leaves you wanting more, but not in a good way. It, yeah. it, it, it doesn't leave you wanting more at the end. It leaves you wishing there had been more to it. It leaves you, it, you really leave that movie with a sense of like what could have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and honestly, you know, I, I kind of uh, presented the plot from the perspective of, of Jenny uh, in a joking way, but it's also very true that like, this is a character that's extremely underutilized and what she and her like friend joke about in the movie as like extras is that Mm -hmm. they are just props Boy, oh boy, is she a block of wood. You know, your audition was so much better. Irma, everybody's audition was better. Doesn't matter when you're the producer's niece. So she gets to play a scene with Neville Sinclair, and we play scenery. I love Hollywood. And that's exactly what Jenny was in this movie. She was the she was just a, a device to get, you know, um, to get Cliff as the rocketeer to meet up with Neville Sinclair. You know, she was just bait. So, but the so the question is, when you're trying to emulate a a genre from you know the 1930s, right, where that was pretty commonplace, and that was that was for the most part the role of women in these type of films. Mm-hmm. Also, considering that this was made in 1991, where there would have been a lot less vocal objection to that type of representation. What do you do if you're trying, I mean, what if you're trying to really pay tribute to the serials of the 1930s, or you're trying to really make something in the style of, I don't know, an old Western, something where, in that original form, if you're trying to emulate it, you're you're kind of also stuck with the gender roles of that genre and that time. What so? Well, what do I, you do? Because I will say this. To- I will say this. Okay, um, and this is according to Wikipedia. Uh, there was, and this is already going to just a few years ago, 2016. Uh, there has been a plan to. Uh, have a sequel, like a reboot sequel to Rocketeer called The Rocketeers that would take place six years after the original film. So now we're into the 40s. And it would be with a black female pilot in the leading role. So that wouldn't be typical of a movie of that era, but I think that that was also a a late 80s, early 90s mentality as well to make an to to keep an action adventure movie focused on the male and uh, i think that nowadays we think a little bit differently about things and say we can still make things in the spirit of something from the 30s or 40s but maybe turn it on its side a little bit and show something that wouldn't have been shown in that era 
Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess that's because that's kind of where I land on it with the. I guess you keep that portrayal, but perhaps you keep those roles, but perhaps um, modify the perspective or. Right. Or frame things from a from a different perspective. And so. Of course, there's, uh, according to Wikipedia, a lot of different different plans. One thing that has happened with The Rocketeer in terms of a reboot of sorts is the Disney Junior animated series. I watched the the first episode with my oh yeah how is it my my five and a half year old Chloe it's fun it's so it focuses on the I want to say great granddaughter of Cliff Secord who doesn't who has no idea that you know he was the Rocketeer or anything like that but she, and she grows up in this town where it's it's pretty far from hollywood so they've adjusted some of the the legend here but it's the t- the town where the rocketeer lived and got it and they have a big they have a statue of the rocketeer and then on her i guess 7th birthday she gets a, uh, a a gift and it's the rocketeer's helmet and she brings it to her grandpa her grandfather who's a mechanic on, he's kind of like he's PV, but he's also he's Cliff's son, okay. I guess, or Cliff's or Cliff's grandson. I don't. I didn't take detailed notes. <laughs> so she she brings him the helmet, and he's like, "Oh well, I was told that if anyone ever brought me that helmet, I should give them this, and it's like the jetpack." So and she's got a friend who helps do like make modifications and and helps her start to figure out how to use the jetpack. And actually what she does the first time she uses a jetpack is in a very similar scenario to the movie when he saves the, the pilot. Uh, she saves her, her father, who's a stunt mm. pilot, who's, of course. Uh, you know, the grant, the grandson of the rocketeer and something happens with his plane. So she puts on the jetpack and she flies up and and saves him gotcha. in a in a similar manner. So it, it it's very much in keeping with the spirit, but interestingly or I guess not interestingly it it's the the main character is um she's I, I guess mixed race. They don't they don't it, it's not necessarily important so they don't right. mention but you can tell the father's Caucasian. Um, the mother, is, I don't is I don't, not like Caucasian. They don't. It's got not Caucasian. Uh, her best friend is his name is uh, Tesh. So I think he is, uh, you know, perhaps Indian mm-hmm. or, or Pakistani. I don't know. But 
the point is you are seeing representation of diversity mm-hmm. in it and you you've got a female protagonist so and that's kind of what that that's what Disney Junior does really well. Sure. I'm also a big I'm a big Doc McStuffins fan. Gotcha. Okay. This is interesting because we we're talking about something that currently has a a, a revival of some sort, and there have been plans. And what's up? I, I actually I had another question that I wanted to ask you before we move into. Okay. So if you had to go back and and recast the Rocketeer. <laughs> So and I think this I think the screenplay is part of the problem, but I, I think it's also true. All due respect to Billy Campbell, yeah, he he maybe didn't quite have what it took to pull this off. Who would you have cast? Who in are we that talking? Ninety one. We're talking nineteen ninety one. Um yeah. I mean, honestly, I'd probably put somebody like Brad Pitt in that role. Brad Pitt. Yeah. Because yeah. not only would he look the part, but even in 1991, but you know, it was still early in his career, but he was very, very no, talented at the time. Very, I mean, he's got Thelma and Louise. He's in Thelma yeah. and Louise that year, so right. I mean, he's not definitely in a huge, not in a starring role, but oh no, but I'm saying he's definitely he's he's there. He's on the scene. He's on the scene. Yeah, for sure. Brad Pitt. I was thinking about Bill Pullman. You think Bill Pullman would have been a little too old for the part at that point? Uh, let's see. It's four years after he, Spaceballs. I think he would have. Yeah, I think he would have been a little too old because he's supposed to be like a, too old. I don't know, twenty-two year old, something like that. Yeah, somewhere in that I was like, range. I was like, maybe Bill Pullman, maybe a, a Robert Downey Jr. Because this, of uh, course, would have been long before Iron Man. Right. Yeah. It's. I. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he at that time was cuz he's he's at, in soap dish that year he's in soap dish that year but he's not the like courageous type yet he's not that no i guess not no you know if we're if you're talking about adapting a graphic novel you kind of want to have somebody who looks the part yeah i guess you're right he's not quite in that in that heroic vein yeah right so anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see. Nineteen ninety one. What was uh, Brad Pitt doing? Thumb and Louise. Yeah. Yeah. Cool World was nineteen ninety two. So yeah, he was pretty close to doing uh, to you know starring roles. Oh, he was. I mean, Thumb and Louise wasn't a huge role for him, but it really gave it gave him a lot of exposure for sure. Not just because he didn't wear a shirt in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I would have put him in that role um, if if I was in any way responsible. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was, like, up for the part. Because that's how I these things... I think he was. That, that, that's how these things typically happen. Or, you know what? I'm trying to think, like, River Phoenix. I'm trying to think of how old he would have been then. Well, he would have been, so let's see, two years past Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. What was River Phoenix doing in 91? <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't... Su- substances that we don't have to I, mention I, right I, now. Yeah, no. So let's see, 1991, uh, Dogfight, My Own Private Idaho. Uh, 92 is Sneakers. Um, sneakers is good. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if he was... Qu- 
Well, I guess he would have been old enough to pull off something like this. He would have been fun. Yeah. I know this is a whole other, a whole other discussion, and nobody's going to argue with me on this one, but just to think of what we would have experienced from River Phoenix is just like, my how things would have been so wildly different. It would be a different world. It would be. You know, he would have gotten a lot of roles that went to... A lot of like huge roles that went to other people that right now we would probably think, you know, oh, no one else could have done that, but it probably would have been River Phoenix and and amazing. It would be really interesting to think about kind of what direction he would have gone in, like if he would have gone more in like the the Johnny Depp direction. By the way, Johnny Depp was Disney's top choice for the role of the Rocketeer. They had also offered it to Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Nice. Yep. And uh, so Brad Pitt's not on the list here, okay. but uh, they looked at Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine. I knew that was coming. I have four boys, four wonderful strapping boys. Morgan, Mason, Matthew, and Modine. Uh, Emilio Estevez, Estevez uh, Bill Paxton, Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell, Kevin Costner, who are all, I think, a little bit on the, on the older end, minus uh, Johnny Depp in 91 would have been uh, would have been appropriate. I think Emilio Estevez 90 although that's already that's already three years past young guns. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh anyway, so in 2016 there was a lot of chatter. Um I think that uh Max Winkler, Henry Winkler's son, mm-hmm. was involved. Um and there's yeah just been chatter about doing the reboot slash sequel. Uh, but there hasn't been any mention of it since then. So remains to be seen. Um, I think it would be interesting to see the idea of, you know, six years later, there's a, you know, African-American woman fighter pilot who becomes the next rocketeer. Like that sounds very interesting to me and I would be excited to see it. And with, you know, the technology and the advancements in visual effects of today, I bet that it could be a lot of fun. But Dan, mm-hmm. what would you do given the opportunity to uh, revive this property? Well, uh, I I don't think I'm I'm alone here in in thinking that perhaps the idea of a series. Okay. Would make sense, especially because... Oh, did you say series and then Siri woke up? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, I think a... a, And of course, if Disney still owns the rights, which they must, then this is perfect for for Disney+. Plus. Sure. And, but you could actually do it rather than... Like they've done with the Mandalorian, release it weekly. Imagine doing like serials. Imagine mm-hmm. having it with a you know a cliff like with the cliffhanger at the end. Hey, that's his name, you know, Cliff. Cliff. It, what if? Oh, and he's a pilot who works in a hangar. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> Mine. <laughs> Um, wow. So, yeah, C-Cord. Anyway, I, I feel like that that would be almost kind of cool. Like, do it 
do it in black and white, bring in, I know, I, I think I've suggested this type of thing before, but like bring in, you could bring in different directors. I'm pretty sure Disney has uh, Joseph, Joseph, oh, is it Joseph Kaczynski? Who's, who did Tron Legacy, I I think would be, a, I think he would be a really interesting choice. I think he'd be a really, uh, I think he'd be a good choice for something like this. Try to think who else, you know, I, uh, filmmakers who are creative and can bring uh, a lot of energy and excitement to, to mm-hmm. the story and also can, you know, can cast it, right, you know, good writers. I think I, I honestly, I think the script for this movie just leaves something to be desired. Yeah. Right. I, and just to uh, go back to talking about the, the series on Disney junior uh, real quick. And this is not to take anything away from uh, a children, a children's show, but there's a statue of the Rocketeer in this town. And this is uh, also just to talk about going into sequels and things like that. But if you think about the character of the Rocketeer, there are three flights. And you can correct me if I'm missing anything. The first flight, which we've talked about, where he rescues the guy at the air show, which is like, there's not that many people there. The local papers catch wind of this. And... It's it's kind of a flash in the pan, so to speak. And then there's the Hollywood nightclub uh, that Neville takes Jenny to. And it's a pretty isolated incident where he rocketeers up to get Jenny out of there and stop Neville or whatever. Or get away from Neville, really. So there's that incident but it's like i said it's pretty isolated and then there's the fu- the the climax that's um that begins at the griffith observatory and ends in the zeppelin which the only people there are gangsters and then like the fbi is there it's not like a huge there's nobody like taking pictures it's not a huge media event if you looked up in the sky you'd see a zeppelin and maybe a, a what would look like a a firefly zipping around it or something. So none of these people there had phones to take it's video on. Absolutely true. If they did, I would be like, Howard Hughes. What else did you invent? I don't know. I figured he would be the one to invent that at the time. After that, nothing else happens. It's not like this is a superhero who's constantly doing stuff because the technology is given back to Howard Hughes. Why are you shaking your head? Because in the universe of the animated series, that's not true. The Rocketeer continues for years to to okay. do things to, so, to help the community. So the series then ignores the end of the movie... Or is it not even is it not even based on the movie? Is it just based on the graphic novels? No, I'm pretty sure it it takes up. I I haven't read the graphic novels. I'm pretty well, sure the graphic it novels. Does... You have to imagine that he doesn't give the rocket back to Howard Hughes because there's more than one graphic novel. So he right. Continues well, to but be also because Rocketeer PV PV still has the plans at the end. That's true. He's got the plans. And he talks about building another one. They totally set it okay, up for Okay, that's right. I forgot that, that he has the plans. Yeah. Because Jenny stole them 
from Neville. Yeah. Right. So okay, all right, okay. and you do have and what's interesting here. So and this is another another interesting subplot here is because you've got the uh, the gangsters, the mob, who are who then at the end start to work with the FBI, right? Because they didn't know that they've been that Sinclair's been working with the Nazis. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, Paul Sorvino. Hold on, Paul Sorvino. I lit the man's cigar once. Did you really? I did. I I went to school. I went to uh, went to college and was in the same program with uh, with his son, and uh, you know went to go see a play that his son was in on the same night that that he was there. And during intermission, he wanted to smoke a cigar and did not have a lighter. I happened to have one. There you go. Help the man out. Way to yeah. go. Tall man. He definitely really. He looks imposed. Like when you see him in Goodfellas, and you see, and and he looks, you know, kind of imposing. He's definitely like, but you know, he's a friendly person. I'm but sure. Definitely, uh, yeah, uh, big guy. So, but very cool. But what's interesting is the mafia actually really hated Nazis because of the fascists uh, in Mussolini's fascists in in Italy mm-hmm. persecuting Sicilians. Right. Yeah. So as soon as so it, it, it which is you know who's going to know that the, the average audience for a PG rated Disney movie is not going to see that and go, "Oh, that makes sense." Yes, of course they would turn on him. Well, right. I mean, if you know that, it puts it into much clearer context, but also I think that it's a matter of patriotism because even though they are criminals, it doesn't mean that they hate their country, especially in 1938. He does say that. Exactly. Verbatim. He says, even though you don't know the context completely, I'm still patriotic. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm paying you well. Does it matter who I work for? It matters to me. I may not make an honest buck, but I'm 100% American. And I don't work for no two-bit Nazi. Let it go. Which I also, when I saw this as a kid, did not fully comprehend the significance of the 1938 setting. Like, I knew at that point that it's right before World War II starts, but I... I didn't under fully understand. I didn't. I didn't have a lot of familiarity with the rise of the Nazis. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of what had led up to nineteen thirty-eight, I didn't know nearly as much as I as I know now. Well, the Nazis would have risen even higher had they had those jetpacks. Seriously, that's some. Uh, that's some serious, like man in the high castle shit. Also, like they have that that video, that film, right. They've got the propaganda film. Also, gotta say, watching this the other day, I did not remember there being so many swastikas. (laughs) This movie has so many swastikas in it. Uh, You know what they say about Walt Disney. And like, yeah. And they like, they hang on some of those shots and they linger on them of swastikas. Joe Johnston. Let's go back and watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and look for hidden swastikas. Yeah, the blades of grass are twisted in just the just the right way. Exactly what I was thinking. 
Oh, you see how they're on the carpet? The pattern on the carpet? Totally swastikas. <laughs> no, I don't know, man. Nazis are nothing to joke about. That is true. So, yes, Dan, I did have an idea also. Thanks for asking. I, I, I was... <laughs> I I was thinking that... I I don't think necessarily that I would care to see a reboot or a sequel or there's really no prequel to speak of in this world. Uh, But I think that this is a really great opportunity for a Rocketeer VR experience where you put on the Rocketeer helmet and it's your VR goggles. It's your whole VR setup. The little uh, buttons that get the the Rocketeer going, those are your little joysticks. And... I mean, flying like flying around, and it could be a whole type kind of thing where it's like it's responsive, and you're in a room, and there's like wind blowing on you, and craziness, and I don't know. I think it'd be really fun for that. Uh, we're at we're living in a time when VR is actually becoming a uh, an actual thing. There are places where people go in like shopping malls and stuff like that to do these kind of VR experiences. So. I think it'd be fun. And um, just to note, there definitely have been, or there was a Rocketeer video game in the early 90s uh, for like computers and some consoles and stuff like that. And Electronic Gaming Monthly uh, awarded the Rocketeer video game as the worst movie to game of 1992. (laughs) So I think that this is a perfect opportunity to right that wrong. And, uh, you know, we are so much more advanced uh, in technology and visual effects than we were in 1991, 1992. So it's like, now's the time to do it. And if it could involve punching Nazis, if you could really in that VR, and I've never tried a VR thing, so I don't know, but I feel like the the appeal of just having something, like I used to love the game Castle Wolfen, Wolfenstein yeah, because... You you shot Nazis. Yeah, That's what you did, and you blew up Nazi castles. So, if there was a VR experience where you where it was just like, all right, I'm gonna do two things. I'm gonna fly and I'm gonna beat the shit out of Nazis. Yeah. All right, money spent. There we go. Yeah. Uh, Done. The the other thought that I had would be to recut. The Rocketeer. And no, I'm not suggesting that you recut it so that it focuses on Jennifer Conley's character. You recut it and you keep it exactly the same up until the point that Cliff first puts on the jetpack and presses the button. Except this time, it burns his legs off and the movie ends. Oh, so more realistic version. More realistic version. Because all I could think was, how are those like flames shooting out of the back those like white hot flames not completely just burning his flesh off to the bone so and that was something i i think they at least could have gotten by with like a hey i I took fireman's outfit when he does it on the zeppelin Oh yeah. How does that? Oh, thing, the how does the Zeppelin? Yeah. They're shooting guns in the Zeppelin. How does that thing not blow up? No. Right. Well, I mean, 
when he puts on the jetpack each time, it's like he just tosses it on whatever he's wearing. I mean, he happens to be wearing that like cool flight jacket thing that uh, <laughs> looks very appropriate to wear while you're flying in a jetpack. Um, but pants are just whatever he's wearing. So it's not like he'd have time to like put on a separate pair of pants that uh, deter the flames. But I mean, they go through the the trouble of explaining how it has something is done so that it the pack doesn't heat up, like it doesn't get hot to the right. touch. So it's like that's not as much my concern as is the right. flames going down the legs. Yeah, there's there's a jet strapped to your back and it's firing. Like, would you stand directly behind a jet plane as it is? turning on its engines i'd rather not since you're asking (laughs) so that's what we've got for the rocketeer yeah so i i guess with the rocketeer any any other anything else that that any other thoughts that you had during it anything that you just maybe were like hey what if we did this no i mean i like the vr idea yeah (laughs) i you know it's like i haven't seen this movie well okay I saw it when it came out, which I'm, oh, uh, we'll get to in a second. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that I watched it when it was like on video or something afterwards. But I don't really remember watching it since, let's say, the mid 90s. And mm-hmm. watching it a few days ago, I was like, I'm glad I'm seeing this again. You know, because like now I know more about timothy dalton and you know some of the other and like i don't know uh some of the other actors in it, it and it's can, I sh- can it's we shout i want to like timothy dalton man i don't think timothy dalton gets enough love i enjoyed his bond movies no he's great i love him in hot fuzz and excalibur and i really like him in the rocketeer mm-hmm. i do yeah and i mean Alan Arkin is so great in this, and he's somebody who you only grow to appreciate. He's consistently great. He really is. And if anyone is looking to see an because I think sometimes we tend to look at certain Alan Arkin performances, you know, maybe the Kaminsky method, Little Miss Sunshine, and start to feel, right. oh, you know, yeah, it's Alan Arkin doing the Alan Arkin thing. Check out Glengarry Glenn Ross. Yes. If you want to see Alan Arkin... Doing, not just doing the Alan Arkin thing. <laughs> right. The Alan Arkin roles that stick out to me, Edward Scissorhands. So good yes. Edward Scissorhands. I always forget he's in that. Oh, he's wonderful. Uh, he is wonderful in that. A movie that is very dear to me. Sorry, Married an Axe Murderer. He's the police captain. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in such a long time. Oh, it's wonderful. Gross Point Blank. I love him as he's the psychiatrist in that. Love him. Yeah. Uh, oh, he's so good in that. Um, like you said, Little Miss Sunshine is just fantastic. And he's uh, he's just fantastic. Argo, clearly, uh, you know, was, was He's got the best that. line in the movie. Argo, fuck yourself. Argo, fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, you know, he's just consistently wonderful. And uh, it was really good to see him um, with so much hair in this movie. To yeah. be honest, huh. so uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was nice to watch and see these actors 
who I've seen in so many other things since this, and I've grown to mm-hmm. appreciate in a lot of different ways. Academy Award winner Jennifer Connelly. And Jennifer Connelly, who's incredible. Um, I uh, so I went I saw her when she I went to a taping of the Conan O'Brien show, and she was one of the guests. I think that I went a few times, so I don't remember if it was the same time, but it may have been the same show as Kevin Spacey, which at the time was a treat. But would not want that to happen now. That dude. Yeah. Oof. Yes. Yeah. But Jennifer Connelly. <sighs> Wonderful. But Jennifer Connelly. And I had I, I had quite a crush on Jennifer Connelly in the early 90s. I had a career opportunities poster in, in my room. <laughs> career opportunities. <laughs> career opportunities with Frank Holly. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Dan, do you remember yeah, career do you remember where you were the first time you saw The Rocketeer? Blue Star. Okay. Blue Star Cinemas in Wachung, New Jersey. Definitely saw The Rocketeer there. Was I with you? Opening weekend. I I don't recall, so it makes me think that perhaps that 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 it was a thing like that it was the three of us or because mm-hmm. I don't have a distinct memory as to who I saw that movie with, but I'm guessing if you saw it in the theater, we probably saw it together. Who knows? Let's talk about our next episode. Yeah. So next episode, uh, because why not? After the Rocketeer, what what else do you do? <laughs> well, we've been we've been doing uh, quite a few from the '90s. It's it'd be nice to take a break from that era. Uh, do something different. Uh, also, yeah. I'm about to be heading out to um, L.A. for a few days, and I'm going to be going to a uh, a gallery exhibition at the Fahey Klein Gallery. Um, that's on, uh, I believe it's on La Brea. Uh, it's uh, I, I have some friends of mine are the the Fahey family, and um, it's their gallery. And there is a show called I believe it's called In Dreams, and it's the photographs uh, by Dennis Hopper. So, oh, I didn't know it was called In Dreams. I believe, yeah, I believe that's what it is. So, um, cool, yeah. So, cool. I'm really excited to check that out. And I've so I've had him on the mind, and I feel like uh, I'm going to be wanting to watch a Dennis Hopper movie. And can you do better than Easy Rider because we've already done Speed? No, well, and also because I, I think Blue Velvet, as amazing as Blue Velvet is, yeah. Easy Rider and I know we'll, is we'll one. We'll talk more about Dennis Hopper. Yeah, Easy Rider is one Easy that Rider. we will definitely <laughs> like, have a lot to talk about. But, and also, I think if we're talking about Dennis Hopper, Easy Rider really is a Dennis Hopper classic movie. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm excited to watch. I've been wanting to watch that again. So I'm excited Good. to to take a look, check out young Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Uh, Peter Fonda, who recently passed. Yeah, so, pour one out. Yeah, well, I'm going to pour one out while I watch Easy Rider. Pour one out into your mouth and enjoy the ride. Uh, don't forget, <laughs> stick right. around for a, uh, a special uh, anniversary greeting to us from French Fry Phil. Yes, and just to anyone who's been who's joined us uh, over the course of, of the last year, thank you. Please, anything we that we can do to make your listening experience uh enhanced please 
send us an email, ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at ruinedchildhoodspod. Yeah, and please, uh, if you have a moment, uh, hop onto Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. We'd really yeah. appreciate it. It would help uh, get the word out, uh, raise some visibility. Tell people. Tell people, and I, I also I want to personally I want to thank Phil. I want to thank Phil for yeah. for sending in uh, our most vocal listener, and, yeah, our most responsive yeah. listener. I and that's what? not a maybe, bad thing. And perhaps maybe during year two, one of our our guests could be French Fry Phil. Oh, let's see if he plays his cards right. I don't know. <laughs> Dare to dream. Good journey. All right, John. Good journey, gents. This is your buddy Phil, aka French Fry Phil. I wanted to break my email tradition and verbally congratulate you on the first anniversary of the Ruined Childhoods podcast. Woohoo! I wasn't there from the first day, but I jumped on the RC bandwagon pretty quickly around Bill and Ted or The Last Starfighter, somewhere around there. And I've been a loyal listener, faithful follower ever since. You guys have given me some good laughs over the last year and some nostalgic memories have been coming back. I look forward to the second year of the Ruined Childhoods podcast. Here's to many more episodes. Side note, I did just watch The Rocketeer about three weeks ago myself, and I think it would make a great Disney Plus TV-14-ish serial, how they did The Mandalorian, like an overall arc, and then little small stories week to week. Anyway, that's my two cents. Take care, guys. Here we come, come with me. There's a world out there that we should see. Take my hand, close your eyes.